Week 13 was magical. Can't wait to break down every single game today. Hayden Winks, John Daigle, 444, and Betsperts. Let's kick it right off. We'll jump right in. The Chiefs losing to the Cincinnati Bengals 27-24. to A 10-point fourth quarter here from the Bengals with Joe Burrow to Jamar Chase to T. Higgins and even Tyler Boyd thrown in there. Hayden, this looked like a near perfect performance from Cincinnati at home. Yeah, this is quite the run they're on as well. They are 8-2 and two over their last 10 games. In those first two games, Joe Burrow is coming back from that appendix uh, surgery. They've beaten the Chiefs, the Titans, the Dolphins, and the Jets during that span as well. And Yeah, this basically was a perfect game, except for there was one fourth and one where they ended up doing a little uh, wide receiver reverse that got stuffed out at the goal line. If they convert on something like that, they would have ran away with this game. They had tons of long drives this was not the big play Bengals. this was just consistent uh long drives 11 9 8 9 8 10 10 play drives to seal this thing out joe burrow ended up with 94th percentile epa uh jamar chase looked fine there's a couple plays that he was able to break just because he's so strong there was one one-handed catch on that ended up being out of bounds Totally looks fine. T. Higgins made a couple plays when he needed to. The only other negative was Tyler Boyd dropped probably the worst drop since that Mike Evans drop a couple weeks ago, wide open. But the the basic thing for the Bengals right now is they're well-coached defensively. They're preventing the big play. And then on offense right now, they can win in kind of multiple ways, especially when Jamar Chase is out there uh, breaking some tackles. I love seeing all of this. And it's exactly what you said. And we talked about it heading into these games recently, Hayden where last year's Bengals were like this high-flying show that it felt like every single play, something big could happen, but it was too high variance. And this year, it's all consistent. And like even the play that we just saw with single high, they can still hit chunk gains, but they've like cracked the code on staining drives and efficiency. And when you have efficiency of Joe Burrow, 25 of 31 for 286 yards to go along with when there is pressure, just taking one sack on the day compared to what 10 or 11 carries for 46 yards and a score, the scrambling element that he's added here more and more in the last few weeks to then the game breaking ability that Jamar chase has, as well as, you know, the big bodiness of T Higgins to pull it down on that final, what second down or third down to clinch the game. I'm not saying it's too big to fail, but it feels at least to me, something that is different to last year, not saying they can get to the super bowl and go on this unbelievable streak, but it's like a real legitimate NFL offense. And I felt like they were missing that at points last year. Yeah, I would the Bengals as the number three team in the AFC. I think they would be a couple point favorites over the Dolphins who we'll get to later on. They're very complete, man. This was out without Chidobe Awuzie and they still held their own on defense. Patrick Mahomes still played a great game. Really, uh, Travis Kelsey had a fumble, a very rare bad game for Travis Kelsey. And that was basically the difference. They were consistently moving the balls, not a whole bunch of, of punts here they did end up going for a long field goal kick instead of trying to maybe go for a fourth and seven um patrick mahomes on that play was limping so i guess you can make the argument that that's why they went for that field goal but maybe a, a healthy patrick mahomes at the end they end up trying to trying to go for that uh but mvs got deep a couple times 
whenever MVS gets deep this year, for some reason, he's not scoring touchdowns on them. He's just catching them and then falling. It's so frustrating for best ball. But that's what it what it was. On those deep plays, there was a couple times where they were bringing pressure. Patrick Mahomes drifts back and then throws it up for MVS. But then there was other, other plays where they do some of the drop eight stuff. Tony Romo, a lot of this time, was kept saying they're daring them to run. And they picked their battles on when to run the ball, both Isaiah Pacheco and Jarek McKinnon at times. Jarek McKinnon scores. Uh, on on a little leak um, uh, near the goal line. Isaiah Pacheco breaks a couple tackles from about eight yards out. Rotation at the running back spot. Juju Smith-Schuster goes, plays his full complement of snaps, but the Bengals' defense, even without their number one corner, looked good. This Bengals seems very legit. No concerns for the the, uh, Chiefs, in my opinion. Patrick Mahomes still looked good. We obviously know Travis Kelsey will rebound. Uh, Just running into a good Bengals team at home. We also always wonder if Sky Moore's opportunity with targets will ever come to fruition with more on-field opportunity. Uh, this is the third consecutive game. His route participation has actually dipped. He ran the fewest routes among the receivers. 10 to Justin Watson's, for example, 16. And I know that there was a Jesus Schuster incident where it looked like it was another helmet-to-helmet hit, concussion protocol, but he was able to return into this game, right? Like, that's something that we need to really be paying attention to not just in general but over these last few weeks for juju because we know the big hit that he took uh can we dive into some of the minute details of the usage as we go along because i know isaiah pacheco got 14 carries here another goal line touchdown run at 66 yards but he wasn't the full goal line back right like i i saw jerick mckinnon in there for at least two series yeah, so the, one of the series, that I think he got the ball two or three times. He ran into the offensive lineman up the middle, uh, which is actually one of the funniest plays of the day uh, when you guys go b- back and watch that. But then they also had Jarek McKinnon uh, out in the flat for a little easy touchdown for him. So he was the goal line back. Isaiah Pacheco, his touchdown was from eight yards out. Their snap shares was about 50-50. They're not involving anybody else. It's just down to the, these two running backs. But in this game, there was times where they kept Jarek McKinnon on the field for for drives, and there were some times when they were daring them to run the ball, and they were doing that with Isaiah Pacheco. So moving forward, I don't see any reason why Pacheco or McKinnon would separate from uh, based off of this performance. They both kind of did their job, and they were mostly effective. Um, it just kind of stunk. There was a couple times where you're like, maybe the Chiefs just try to try to pass the ball instead of run it, but that's what this Bengals team is doing. They're putting you in uncomfortable spots. What about on the opposite end on the Bengals? Because we were expecting, you know, all week Joe Mixon to be cleared from that concussion protocol, and he was not on Sunday. So Samaj P. Run goes out there and gets 21 carries, 106 yards. Also adds another seven targets, six receptions for 49. Like, I joke about it, but he really does get every ounce of athleticism out of his body on, like, every single time he touches the ball. He forces missed tackles. He's never going to – well – I shouldn't say he's never going to break big plays because he's even broken plays and even this game last season. So it's pretty amazing to see. And, you know, at least we get one Chris Evans reception for a touchdown too. who needs touches when you get touchdowns. Hayden? Chris Evans played two snaps. One of them went for a red zone touchdown. That would have been some AJP run break the slate type of performance. If he would have gotten that opportunity, I think 60 out of 72 snaps for some AJP run. limited practices for Mixon. So I'm assuming he's going to come back, but some AJP right veteran can play all three downs, obviously, and just thick dude. That's hard to tackle. And that's why he's been performing. It was 87.5% of the team's backfield touches last week. This week, 27 of 29 backfield touches. I know Evans upset you with that inside the five touchdown for fantasy, but literally no other running back matters in this backfield if Joe Mixon is out. I believe this is the first game this season that Mahomes and the Chiefs did not win when they trailed by 10 or more points. I mean, he was heading into this game 
13 and nine in his career when the Chiefs trail by 10 points, which is an insane figure. Three and oh this year. They came back to lead it at some point, but again, a 10 point fourth quarter for the Bengals allowed them to win it in the end. The rest of the way, the Bengals have next week Deshaun Watson, then the Bucks, then the Patriots, then the Bills, and then the Ravens to close out the calendar. So they're sitting at eight and four, first in the AFC North. We'll get to Lamar Jackson, the Ravens here in a little bit. But this team has never been better. I mean, they are six wins in their last seven games. The only loss to said Cleveland Browns with Jacoby Brissett. That seems great. And I'm sure that they have a lot, a lot of thoughts on how they can beat that Browns team who just manhandled them up front in the trenches the last time they played. Deshaun didn't look good. Very, very good today. Nope. And we'll get to that here in a moment. All right, Daigle, over to you. Tennessee Titans. Philadelphia Eagles, another game that featured two teams with winning records, but in the end, the Eagles improved to 11 and one on the season, dropping the Titans to seven and five, beating them 35 to 10. What a huge day for Jalen Hurts, 29 of 39, 380, three touchdowns against a very menacing defensive line, but a secondary that was very porous. And Jalen Hurts coming into this game had averaged the league's second highest yards per attempt against three and four man pass rushes, leads the league in completion rate against three and four man pass rushes. And the Titans, of course, have only blitzed 26 times all year, lead the league in those types of pass rushes. So you expected Jalen Hurts to have a very good game. And that's exactly what it was. 9.7 yards per attempt, not under duress at all. Eight passes of 15 plus yards in this one. Just absurdly poor defense on the Titans end. A Titans defense, mind you, that hadn't allowed more than 20 points in a game since week three. The Eagles posted 21 in the first half alone. Jalen Hurts was 5 of 6 for 80 and a touchdown on the opening drive. In that opening drive, A.J. Brown gets the first touch, which was turned out to be a summary of how his day would turn out. Devonta Smith, 3 for 59 and a score. Uh, again, it seems like past two games, even coming into this one, the Eagles hadn't pieced together. They had really been shooting themselves in the foot against the Packers, letting them come back late against the Colts, a 17-16 win, but loads of penalties. And you saw that again here, eight penalties alone in the first half. And in the second half, it seemed as they were finally breaking the game away, that it was going to happen again. A.J. Brown gets downfield for what would have been a deep touchdown, but it was actually called back uh, for because he actually got pushed out of bounds and he didn't get his toe down. And then the very next play, ensuing play, a 41-yard touchdown, double move, beats Christian Fulton out of his shoes. But since Fulton is so broken down and confused by A.J. Brown's route, he's just in the way. And A.J. Brown literally runs him over. And it's defensive pass interference because it's five yards away from the line of scrimmage. And A.J. Brown wide open in the back of the end zone, catches the ball. Genuinely easy for the Eagles passing game today. I love to see these clean pockets for Jalen Hurts in this game. I mean, again, the Titans, it was one of those games heading into it. We talked about it a lot. It's a strength versus a strength. Everything we can talk about through Nick Sirianni and the run game and the passing game and Jalen Hurts' progression to adding A.J. Brown in Philadelphia, it always begins with the foundation of the offensive line and their strength just dominating that same thing of the Titans' defensive line, one that is kind of different than a lot of these other groupings across the league where it's bigger bodies, you compress the pocket, you keep the quarterback inside of structure. And it just felt like, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, Daigle, Hurts didn't have to manage or mitigate a lot of disruption or a lot of pressure. It was just like, hey, let me hit my back foot, 
go through my progressions and hit these two alphas that I have. And AJ Brown, I believe on that one catch, like you said, that's the most separation in man coverage of a touchdown in next gen stats of the last five years. And it just signifies really who he is, where his route gets the cornerback off balance, then the power he has just to drive through him. And he continues on without losing any balance for the score. Pretty easy in the end. And mind you, this all came in roughly 48 minutes of playing time since Gardner Minshew took over early on in the fourth quarter. Just a simplistic take care, take care of business and move on day for the Eagles. In the first week of fantasy playoffs, they play the Chicago Bears. It's going to be advanced season for anyone that has Jalen Hurts. It's interesting on the other side of the ball, though, Josh, because the last three games since Tannehill returned from injury, the Titans had turned to a top 10 offense and pass play rating from neutral game script. Tannehill, at least 34 pass attempts in two of his last three games as well. And they genuinely couldn't get nothing going in this game. Traylon Burks, yet again, had another deep contested catch where he took a massive hit, stayed down, somehow held onto the ball, and then somehow also returned to the game uh, just a few possessions later. But really, he is the only highlight in this offense. Even Derrick Henry, and I don't know what the hell is going on, but in his last four games, 2.6 yards per carry. It just hasn't made a difference whatsoever. Not on the injury report. I, I blame last week when we did the show, uh, the Bengals being told to basically pursue. And when y'all went back and watched that game, I'm sure y'all saw the same thing. But genuinely, Henry is just not breaking anything right now. Yeah, and I, I think part of it, it, look, it might be him who, you know, he's been banged up at some points this season. Yeah. I think it's more the offensive line. Like, they're not allowing a ton of sacks and, you know, Derrick Henry has gotten production earlier this season, but let's not forget, like this team still doesn't have a right tackle. Taylor Lewan left as a, their starting left tackle for most of the season. You know, they were without Ben Jones last week. He's back in it here. And while on paper, this is a team that has been run on in stretches, you know, because the Eagles front office is so proactive. They've tried to find veterans to, you know, fill in and, and mitigate that a little bit and they've done a really solid job. I don't know if Jordan Davis even played in this game or if how much of a difference I can't wait to go back and watch that. But to me, I'm not saying it's, it's phony production that we've seen from Derek Henry because it never is, but it can be difficult, you know, when the team just isn't that good offensively to then just have everything to try to jump start through the running game. When the team knows exactly what you're going to do. I think the good news is that, both of our analysis may not even matter because the next three game for the fantasy playoffs, Jaguars, Chargers, Texans. Name a better three setup for a struggling running back than those wow. three matchups. That's dangerous. Yeah. Love the comment from Justin in the chat too about the Eagles because we've seen multiple versions of them this year, just like we saw multiple versions of them last season. Like earlier on this year, Jalen Hurts was throwing vertical. Then we went through that spell where – the Eagles offensive line was heard and going up against some funky defenses last week. They had over 300 rushing yards this week. They have over 300 passing yards with 41 attempts just compared to 24 carries. So they are back to, and I don't want to crown them too early, but to me, they are back to being the NFC favorites and a team that can beat you in a lot of different ways, just as their defense is also getting healthier at this time too. All right. I guess there's nothing. Hopefully Traylon Burks is okay because that happened early on in the game. And I, he would have been a big piece throughout it. And it's just amazing. He was able to hold on to it. And it's kind of crazy to see Chigo Kwanku go out there. A guy we've never even talked about on stats versus film, which we should have, because there's so much other things to talk about, but this tight end that's of the Johnu Smith move variety who, uh, 
Yeah, who who is a really fun player, I believe, coming out of of Maryland. And I think in the next coming years is a type for us to like peak our fantasy football interest as we go along. And he is still splitting routes uh, 20 to Austin Hooper's 22 even today. But he has a 30-yard play in four consecutive games now. Like That's why he continues popping up on film. Minnesota Vikings improve at home to 10 and 2, beating the New York Jets 27 to 22. What a fun game. But opened with a dominant two quarters for the Vikings up 20 to 6 at halftime. Look, the Jets opened with 14 passes, six runs, but the issue is they only went two for eight on third downs. Meanwhile, the Vikings were able to convert seven of 11 of their own third downs against this great. Jets defense. Um, you got two early touchdown runs by Dalvin Cook and Alexander Madison. But then when the second half turned, you knew the way to get out of this hole was to start featuring Garrett Wilson. And on the day, finishes with a monstrous eight receptions, 162 yards, including a 60 yarder where he catches it over the middle of the field, bounces off a safety, and continues on for a big gain after the catch. He and Justin Jefferson were making difficult catch after difficult catch at the catch point. But really this game came down to a few numbers where three red zone drives, the Vikings scored touchdowns. Meanwhile, the Jets had just one touchdown on six red zone drives. Um, the Vikings were only needed that one score to Justin Jefferson in the second half to keep this out in front. But Mike White nearly, and I mean nearly, made this great comeback towards the end. He had a deep route to Corey Davis while getting crunched in the pocket. Then there was a fourth and 10 after previous, he got smashed by multiple Vikings pass rushers that he threaded the needle to Corey Davis over the middle of the field with a cornerback in his hip pocket, a safety bearing down on him. And then you got down to fourth and one at the goal line, throw to Braxton Berrios and he just drops it for the game leading touchdown. They get the ball back. There's some shenanigans that could potentially get there. It just didn't work. But Again, Mike White opens his Jets career in 2022 with back-to-back 300-plus yard passing performances. I'm sure his teammates loved it. And this is another very Vikings-esque game where you dominate in the first half and you sail and coast to it despite one drive in the second half. And the people who have questions about them will continue to have questions about them. Yeah, we have to love Mike White. Garrett Wilson has 57 routes this game. He's like the perfect blend for fantasy where – He's at least good enough to pick up some first downs throughout the game, but they're going to run so many places. There's not going to be any explosives. You're going to get these humongous target games coming into this. He was averaging 17 and a half expected half PPR points in non Zach Wilson starts. And that's only going to improve with 15 targets here after the game though. uh, Garrett Wilson says that uh, about Mike white or Mike white, that he was out there controlling the huddle, never letting the moment get too big. It was cool to see looking back at it. Now it's cool to think about, I go to war for that boy. He's got something special about him. There's so many quotes about this, regardless of the quotes, the fantasy production has been there. Even Corey Davis pops up for 10 targets here. And Garrett Wilson now in Mike White's two games, 27% of the team's targets. It does look a little odd when you see 15 targets and actually a lower target share than last week. But that's because as you said, they allowed Mike White to throw 57 freaking times in a pass heavy game script. Yeah, and but even started that way. Like, it's so clear to me. And yes. sure, you, you you can say that the Vikings are better against the run than they are the pass. You could also say that, you know, the Jets lacked running back talent like they had when Zach Wilson and, and 
Joe Flacco started the season. Or you can say that Mike LaFleur just has so much more confidence in Mike White throwing in neutral and negative game scripts and even positive game scripts than he does anyone else, other quarterbacks in the roster. And that's where I would lean to. That's exactly what I would lean to. You can also look at the first half of last week against the Bears because remember it became stormy and started raining in the second half. And that's when they went to the run. Uh, They were pass heavy intentionally in the first half. So maybe that is, this is just now Mike White's offense. Garrett Wilson didn't even have his first catch until the second quarter, you know, and he finishes with eight for 162, 15 targets. This is to me, and it's so easy to say, because we all know who Garrett Wilson is as an individual talent watching him every week. But I think it is notable to say, because he went through that streak of not scoring a bunch of points in the middle part of the season. This is the Amon Ross St. Brown of 2022 towards the end of the year because he's going to get fed. He's going to create big plays. I know he hasn't scored touchdowns. That is the big hang up I have with the Jets right now. You know, at least I can speak for myself. Love Mike White. Uh, love Mike LaFleur on this show in terms of his creativity and scripting things open. But they had a little too many screens and misdirection and short passes, especially on third downs that weren't to the sticks. They have to get their red zone play calling a lot better because, again, one touchdown that Mike White actually ran in uh, on six red zone drives was the key difference in this entire game. Before this game, uh, Michael Carter uh, was didn't seem that all that close to playing. He, he's probably 50-50 for next week's on in the night. Dominates touches here. Fit five targets, 15 carries. The PFF grades look nice. James Robinson barely plays at all. Is there anything that you saw from, from Bam Knight? Zonovan Knight started the game. Zonovan Knight looked like the most explosive back. Uh, James Robinson mainly got his only carry in a short yardage situation. And then because the Jets were so far down, especially in like a two minute drill and towards the end of the game, that's when Ty Johnson was uh, was getting most of his work. Yeah, I mean, there was again, I keep bringing this up with Mike LaFleur, but there's these awesome runs. You see 60, who I believe is either the center or the no. He, yeah, he's the center, man. He's pulling out in front and sealing off Eric Hendricks on the edge. And then you get Zion Knight with Garrett Wilson and Corey Davis blocking. These are why these guys are the outside wide receivers here and gets the edge and outruns. He's got some juice. He really does have some speed. And for as much as I have liked, you know, Michael Carter in his past, this has not been a good Michael Carter season. And I wouldn't be surprised if we see even more Zion Knight than Michael Carter when he's back, because it is so clear that they want drives. And this is why they drafted Brees Hall and why he was so successful early on to go 30, 40, 50 chunk yard gains. And Knight has the best option to do that among this entire backfield, even when Michael Carter does come back. And now these running backs have soaked up at least 21% of the team's targets and back-to-back games from Mike White. So they are heavily involved in the passing game, offering PPR value as well. Quickly on the other end with the Vikings, uh, Justin Jefferson, only seven receptions for 45 yards on 11 targets. You know, the Jets play sides with their cornerbacks. Um, so it's sauce Gardner on, I believe the left side, then DJ Reed on the right side, his touchdown was pretty sweet. Cause he started on the left side instead of, you know, lining him up on one in the formation where if the defense wanted to put sauce Gardner in main isolation, they could have motioned across, then ran a vertical route, just a clear hesitation at the top, probably a choice route. And then just sprints to the outside and catches it. Um, really difficult grabs. Like they would not have obviously won this game without Justin Jefferson. And then to true Kirk Cousins fashion has TJ Hawkinson and probably would have been a 50 yard gain on a crossing route sees him wide ass open and just hurries and rushes the throw and throws it about five yards over his head. 
So we had some good Kirk, including that big Jalen Rager 38 yarder where he was getting decked in the middle of the field. We had some great Quinn and Williams plays where like a grabbed Zonovan Knight for a loss on a draw play, then got a sack in the very next one. But they did just enough here. And at 10 and two, it's almost undisputed of what they can do. And if the you know Eagles struggle at all down the stretch, this is a team that could also be there for the number one overall seed, a la the Titans last year. And they close with the Lions, with the Colts, with the Giants, with the Packers, and with the Bears. Yep. They're in, they're in the mix for the number one seed. That's for sure. Very, very, very much so. All right, Hayden, next up, I believe you had the Chargers at the Raiders? Yes, I did. Let's go there. Where, despite some heroics from Justin Herbert, in the end, the Las Vegas Raiders hold on to it 27 to 20. They improved to five and seven. And the Chargers, tough uphill battle to make the playoffs now at six and six. Yeah, the Chargers lost this game because they got their ass kicked in the trenches. And that's not new. And that's also not surprising this week. Their left tackle, their center, and their right tackle were out on offense. And now they're going to be missing their fourth defensive tackle in addition to Joey Bosa. Uh, starting with the Justin Herbert, it was there was a lot of miscommunications. He was under duress a lot. He's very good at avoiding sacks for the most part, but nothing was made that easy. By far, the play of the game was Justin Herbert, I believe, like on a fourth and seven, fourth and 12, something like that. Created time, drifted out to the right, throws up a prayer to Keenan Allen, absolute dart. Uh, Keenan Allen with great job uh, coming down with that. That's That was to save Keenan Allen's box score for I believe it's a 35-yard touchdown. Let's walk uh, through this because it's it's an unbelievable play. Obviously, oh yeah. not much pressure, even though Justin Herbert has felt a bunch of pressure already. He drifts right. This is not a route by Keenan Allen. It's really supposed to be sit the sticks and probably break right there and just get the first down. But the improvisation here for Herbert to roll out and hit, again, one of those passes that you could just hand it to him perfectly over his shoulder for a score. Yeah, absolutely amazing play. The rest of the time, the offense was just kind of relatively stuck in the mud here. Austin Eckler uh, coughs up a fumble. Gerald Everett, a couple plays underneath for some yards after the catch. Josh Palmer, frustrating player. There's some plays where you're like, he looks so strong out there. You're like, you can kind of get some encouraging plays. But there's other times against man coverage where he just doesn't have enough juice to create any separation. But this game was lost on offense because of their offensive line issues, because they don't have that number one player in big Mike Williams, like the last play uh, for the chargers offense basically was Deandre Carter on uh, like a fourth and seven, just a go ball to the sideline. Just was not able to come down with it. And when you're throwing just go balls uh, in key situations to Deandre Carter, your offense is pretty, pretty much screwed. And then on defense, man, we have to start talking about um, Devonte Adams because he's on pace for the quietest 1700 yard season We're the first to speak about him this year no, no, <laughs> never but, talked but, about him actually no but it, it is weird he's on pace for 1700 yards 17 touchdowns on 115 catches and we're like just kind of like not he's like not in the no, conversation I, for like best fantasy asset in the league I, I am with you where it is among all those types of seasons the quietest 115 catch 1700 yard season i've ever heard and i think it's because it's so easy to shit on the raiders this year and it's, you go stretches of games where it feels like Devontae Adams, even whole halves that we've seen, barely involved. But it doesn't matter. Like he is, other than like Travis Kelsey, who, you know, already spoke about today, but the most bankable fantasy piece this season. It's not stuff what he's doing. At least 11 targets in five consecutive games now. Just absolutely Ooh. unreal. Um, Quickly on the Chargers too. I think we... <sighs> 
had a safe assumption what was going to happen whenever Corey Lindsley got ruled out. Like, and I attribute the miscommunications simply to that. Justin Herbert leads the league in time from snap to pressure rate without Lindsley on the field this year. So that's why I'm assuming Chandler Jones just dominated this yes. game single-handedly. Yeah, there's a couple of hustle sacks, but I also want to notice uh, before the game, uh, the Chargers team total dropped from like 26 down to 23, I think based off of the Corey Lindsley news. So rightfully so, he in the offseason when he got signed here is one of the most expensive contracts. He's one of the most underrated players in the league, and he's very important to Justin Herbert up front. So if Corey Lindsley's out, I believe he's with, with a concussion again, we have to take notice there. Um, final note for, for the Raiders side is Josh Jacobs just doing his thing. Uh, clearly was, was hobbled for some parts of it, but still grinded it out, played, I believe, around 75% of the snaps here uh, really wore down this chargers defensive line that lost their fourth defensive tackle probably for the season. Um, I don't see how the chargers off or defense is going to figure out their run game at all. There's too many injuries at this point. And uh, they were trying to like Asante Samuel. They had different players line up against Devonte Adams, a lot of it in one-on-one -on -one coverage. And it was just absolutely toasted out there. So the chargers are going to find themselves into some shootouts. So hopefully we get big Mike, back eventually so we can at least get some 30 to 35 games but this chargers defense once again really disappointing we've never played this game would a josh palmer comparison be marvin jones or is he just not like vertical enough for that i think marvin's faster at, okay. at marvin's peak he was faster i'll have to think on this he josh palmer is like a lot of like 10 yard curl routes and just like fighting the guy but that's probably the offense the too yeah, it is part of the offense, but there's obviously it's like a chicken and the egg. Do they not have enough deep talent to to run these type of plays, or is it because of Lombardi? It's probably both. It, it is just about one of the better, you know, seven catch for sixty yard games you can see because he had some key third downs. I saw, you know, Daniel Proper tweeting about it how Joshua Palmer's just really come in clutch over the last three or four weeks of the season. Yeah, I mean, it, it is pretty amazing where. We even got questions in our start sit show, Hayden, about Josh Jacobs and how much would he play and like, can we really trust him? He finishes last week with a 75 yard touchdown run to clinch it. And he goes in today and gets 26 carries for 144 yards and a touchdown. And then has a new, another two receptions for six yards. Indestructible. Incredible. Yeah, it's insane. Indestructible. Anything else in this game you want to move on? Let's get out of here. Okay. I'm going to skip the line and jump to the Miami Dolphins and the San Francisco 49ers. Where the 49ers, even after an opening 75-yard touchdown by Trent Sherfield on the first play, went 33-17 at home, improving to 8-4. and four. Now, during the show, we got news that Jimmy Garoppolo will miss the remainder of the season. Broken foot. With that said, so many teams crawl into their shell when the backup quarterback is forced into a game. Meanwhile, as soon as Jimmy missed the remainder of this game and now the rest of the season... After that first series, Kyle Shanahan asked Brock Purdy to throw the football 37 times compared to 29 runs. He leaned all the way in. He trusted a guy who probably hasn't seen a practice snap other than the scout team in since what? Preseason? If that. And, and was very bad. One of the worst quarterbacks in the preseason. And is Mr. Irrelevant. Yes. Steps in here and goes 25 of 37 for 210 yards, two touchdowns and an interception. I always have, and this might be a dumb take, but I'm going to give it anyways. 
whenever you have like the backup quarterback and you see them in preseason, you see them in starting, you kind of see it with Jordan Love and Aaron Rodgers. They kind of take on the little mannerisms of the starting quarterback a bit, a little aesthetically similar aspects to their game. Brock Purdy had some Jimmy Garoppolo from, let's say, five or six years ago to him here. Uh, he doesn't have the same arm. He's not as willing to test vertically in the outside, but there's some real like gamesmanship to his game. And what also Kyle did was lean into Christian McCaffrey for 17 carries, 66 yards, eight receptions for 80 yards and a score. The other big storyline here, though, is, again, other than that 75-yarder that Tua opened with, which was a beautiful design from Mike McDaniel, where you had two backs, if you want to count Alec Ingold with that in the backfield, where they cross each other's faces. Trent Sherfield kind of sits in this open area. 31 to Sean Gibson cannot get there, and boom, he's off the races. Then Tyreek Hill had a 45-yarder. Outside of that, this was the game that the two doubters were waiting for to crush him because we spoke that the 49ers defense was perfect to stop this offense, at least the best-case scenario, because they've thrived in defending the middle, intermediate air of the field. There were wide receivers and pass catchers wide open everywhere, and Tua was just off-target and just missing them. I I'm not too worried about that though, Daigle. I'm 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 really not because I almost feel like and I I I don't know what to chalk it up to, but this those are the types of throws that Tua hit every single other game that I'm going to chalk this up to and maybe this is just my bias to a bad outing, a bad performance because I think all quarterbacks get that at some point. And I wasn't waiting with the haters, but we knew this was a litmus test. That's all I wanted to see. We had questions given that Tua was successful, unsurprisingly, against the Lions, Bears, Browns, and Texans the last month of the season. So whatever. Good job, but now you have the 49ers. Let's see what you can do. And he missed, as you said, tons of open throws. Was absolutely abysmal today. At the same time, with no Jimmy Garoppolo on one side, with no Teron Armstead and Austin Jackson on one the other side, I don't really know how much to take away from a shaky Tua performance and legitimately his worst game of the season. I don't want to chalk that up to Tua in a big spot every single time once the Dolphins reach the playoffs. But was today bad? Oh, yeah. One of the worst quarterbacks on the day. I mean, it was really bad. Again, wide open guys in terms of Tyreek Hill. Jalen Waddle only had his first catch with 30 seconds left in the third quarter. He was hobbled all game long going in and out. But they were forcing these pass catchers to adjust, just sailing passes over their head. It was really rough. And maybe part of that too is when you're missing, you know, your top two tackles, just the mindset that you have that you have to get rid of it. There was no running game to speak of with Raheem Mostert going seven for 30, Jeff Wilson, just one carry for three yards. Also the 49ers were doing some cool stuff. They were loading the line of scrimmage with extra pass rushers, especially linebackers in the gaps. And then they were playing bump, press coverage on the outside, which forced Tua to hold the football a bit more often. And then when Nick Bosa got his early sack, they were starting to actually double and even triple team him in some situations. And so then they started looping him on the inside. And because you have an inexperienced or lesser talented offensive line, they could not switch off their man. And so Nick Bosa was then free to, to run and, and create havoc at times too. Um, I'm still in on this Dolphins offense. It was, I think, a great schemed and uh, design game from Mike McDaniel. But again, this is the type of bad game since like last year's Titans contest for Tua that we thought he was over, but it sprouted up here in a big spot.
Yeah, the Tehran Armstead splits are the, the concerning part of this, and I wonder how much it is just feeling a little bit more pressured. Obviously, he's a smaller quarterback. Uh, just e even if he's not getting hit, if just the feel of more pressure is going to impact him more than it would otherwise. Uh, I'm looking. Jeff Wilson just gets completely erased in this game. That's just it is what it is um, with the Dolphins' backfield at this point. So we need positive matchups for for the Dolphins' running backs. I think to get confident again. Yeah, and Jeff Wilson was wide open for probably a. 40 50 yard touchdown on a wheel route and two a missed him <laughs> like tried Man. to make him do an acrobatic catch when it just wasn't necessary could have just been a bucket throw and that one could have been housed i mean this is a, a one of those scenarios where on a sunday night in week 13 watching this in the four o'clock window it is awesome to highlight what brock purdy did stepping in here when he was as you said daigle abysmal in the preseason but the other aspect of this is we probably just lost an NFC and Super Bowl contender in the 49ers long term. Like it has now more from where Jimmy was playing arguably his best football and most loose football that we've seen to going from, a, again, a great Sunday story to not going to say a waste of the rest of the season, but man, this offense and this team could have been something special the rest of the way. At least we know, even with Purdy, Christian McCaffrey can still get there with 10, 100% targets uh 25 touches to the second running back question of the week jordan mason's eight Tyrion davis price active zero touches on the day and per the box score josh it looks like jordan mason i know limited touches but had some juice as well yeah i mean it was exactly what we saw last week in that final two minute drill when all the other running backs were out that as soon as he gets the ball he runs in a straight line and he's there to run over your face you know one of my favorite sayings and it i think it's impossible to know what Kyle Shanahan thinks of his backfield heading into a game other than, hey, I've got Christian McCaffrey. I'm going to utilize him. What I really think now, despite, you know, the contraption on Christian McCaffrey's knee is that we're going to see 25 plus touches from Christian McCaffrey the rest of the way in every single game. And this is going to go back to the Panthers-esque CMC usage, not just in the rushing game where he goes 17 of, for 66 here, but also the receiving game. And I actually want to highlight, if you guys will let me, this... 33 yard reception early on in this game because it speaks to what like this could have been for Kyle Shanahan and Mike McDaniel where they were like on the whiteboard drawing up who could have like the better play like you get Chris McCaffrey with this little short motion but it's not at the line of scrimmage it's at quarterback depth this is on the first series and so what this does is isolates Duke Riley and when you have Chris McCaffrey versus a journeyman linebacker he just shakes him in the open field and just gets beyond him for a big game. So we're just going to see the Christian McCaffrey show. I think the rest of the way, who knows how that impacts Debo Samuel, who actually had six receptions for 58 yards. And then Brent Ayuk, I think would have had a much bigger day, obviously, if Jimmy was a part of it. I think we need to note that Tua left late with an ankle injury. We are still waiting on the severity there. So we assume that he's going to be back, but we've seen ankle injuries. Specifically, he's had ankle injuries before. So obviously very concerning for the Dolphins there. Yeah, and it was a huge hit at the end, and that's what made this even bigger win because it was a fumble six at the end of the game where he got sandwiched once again. Um, yeah, I mean, I can't say he was under a ton of pressure today, probably moving a bit more than he should have. But yeah, since that happened at the very, very end, we have no clue how, uh, how it's going to look moving forward. All right, Daigle, next up, and I have this written down, so hopefully you watched it. Packers at the Bears. Justin Fields, off injury, reels off a 55-yard touchdown. But it's not enough, even when this team was up 10 to nothing in the first quarter, 
because here comes Aaron Rodgers and here comes freaking Christian Watson, who what has now eight touchdowns on his last 17 touches. Eight all purpose touchdowns in four consecutive games, which ties Randy Moss and Bill Groman, who probably wouldn't have made his junior high team in 2022, but whatever, uh, for the most by a rookie in NFL history in that span. That possession, of course, what you're talking about is Christian Watson icing the game because no matter how well the Bears play, and they do play well with Justin Fields under center, this team cannot win. And loads of defensive injuries today. But I think since we look at the Bears as a developmental team trying to get a top 10 pick and see if they can build around Justin Fields, he gets better every week. And that's the most important part. More importantly, their play calling gets better every week as they learn what Justin Fields can do. He had three plays of 49 yards today. A 56-yard touchdown run, uh, which makes it six consecutive games with a rushing touchdown, tied for the longest by any quarterback since 1950. He had a 56-yard missile to Equinemius St. Brown. Uh, that ball actually hung in the air for 45 air yards, the second deepest completion of Fields' career. And then Nikhil Harry also had a 49-yard catch today, uh, which had to be the best of his career. I'm assuming that his first catch of his career as well. This play is so ridiculous. Like when you zoom back, because the Packers actually, to me on this design keeper played this perfectly because they get a free crashing down defensive back in 25 in the face of Justin Fields. But the stop start athleticism that Justin Fields has five yards deep in his own backfield to juke the shit out of 25 and then pull away from everyone else. When you get great blocking from 18, you get great blocking from 13. And then you have, you know, these linebackers, these safeties, these corners trying to catch up with them. And he pulls away. It's nuts after dislocating, separating, whatever you want to say, your shoulder to be able to pull this off. A few still bad miscues, Hayden, and two interceptions. But hopefully those get ironed out here the rest of the season and next year. Because, again, the full package can be super special. He only had six carries, and according to PFF, only three of them were designed runs. So they were, were playing with basically one hand or one arm uh, tied behind their back, and field still looked pretty good. So uh, going into the bye, I believe, next week, we should get a fully mobile Justin Field. So I wouldn't pay that much attention to this, only six uh, carries this game, because I think they took away some of the quarterback design game because of his injury. Dago, talk me through Christian Watson, because this is truly a streak. And we see it a lot in fantasy football. I'm not calling certain people flash in the pans, but this can be like a start of something special as a career. But this is almost something unlike anything I've ever seen. And I actually mentioned this to, to Matt Harmon, who stole his comparison for Christian Watson, which was um, which is Martavis Bryant. I believe these are the only two players that have 45 plus yard touchdowns, seven of them in the first rookie seasons in NFL history. And again, it's Christian Watson and Martavis Bryant. It's insane stuff that we're seeing right now. It's practically known what this offense does too, depending on the down and distance, because 76% of Alan Lazard's receptions this year have gone for a first down. It's who they go to when you need to move the sticks. At the same time, Christian Watson is easily their most explosive player now. And just to get him involved on that end around for the 30-yard touchdown run, also that red zone touchdown where Aaron Rodgers clearly now, we've seen in four consecutive games, trust him deep and in contested catches and man-to-man -man coverage. Uh, that's, that's what's so special about this not only that but this four games 
Christian Watson still leads the team with a 21% target share. That's what I keep coming back to. The touchdown outlier rate, yes, it's going to regress over the offseason. But right now, when he's also leading the team in targets, who cares? Yeah, that was my point, is the touchdowns are, like, crazy right now. But in, according to like fantasy, fantasy user model, he's still been a top 20 wide receiver in actual usage because he's legitimately still getting targets and touches. And the types of uh, touches that he is getting are valuable. Some of these crossing routes over the middle are valuable targets in their own right. I butchered this stat, but now has seven receiving touchdowns on just 23 career receptions. Christian Watson does. He joins Martavis Bryant as the only rookie wide receiver over the last 25 seasons to have seven plus career receiving touchdowns within their first 25 career receptions. Just a big play waiting to happen. And you know that jet sweep, we've seen it a bunch this year with him in that jet action with Aaron Jones or AJ Dillon in the backfield. Hayden, we saw it all the time on his tape at North Dakota State. Get an athlete in athletic positions on the move, get the ball in his hands, and good things can happen. Um, this is such a positive, I think, for the Packers. Like, look, they're probably still not still going anywhere this year, but it feels like over these last two or three weeks, at least offensively, they've started to figure something out. And like that something is Christian Watson in big plays. And then today, Dago, I would love to get your thoughts on this. Did they lean just completely into AJ Dillon as the ball carrier? Because he has 18 carries versus Aaron Jones' nine. Aaron Jones was injured in this game for a little bit. Did end up returning. We actually had a handful of those types of situations as well throughout the NFL games where players got injured and then returned. So just something to monitor. I also think some part of that, though, is the Bears right now, their front seven is such a disaster. I think that some, some teams will opt to just run the ball down their throat because the tackling right now is horrendous. So that's something to keep in mind for matchups and moving forward. Cool. All right. Before you all get out of here and go watch Sunday Night Football, be sure to leave a thumbs up. Be sure to subscribe to the channel. Tons of great content coming at you, not just, you know, this show, Instant Reactions. It's, all, it's also the Colts. Don't leave. You don't need to watch that. We're we also learn. have yeah. Stay stats here. Versus, I think yeah. we have the... The Broncos coming up and the Colts like multiple more times on Island games. And How bad, time. by the way, do the Broncos have to be that they flex the Chiefs out of prime time because the Broncos were involved? Pretty bad. Anyways, before Daigle interrupted my promo, hit subscribe. That's all you need to do. All right. Now we talk about the nasty man. The nasty man. We don't have his even... Did you not make a slate? Team swipe. Nope. Forgot to do it. The... Cleveland Browns beat the Houston Texans 27 to 14. So on paper, Hayden, some might say 27 points, not so bad for the Browns offense with a guy who hasn't played quarterback in two years. Then you look at Deshaun Watson's stat line, 12 completions on 22 attempts, 131 yards and an interception. Yeah, before we get to the the on-field stuff, I want to actually take a moment just to remember what we're dealing with here because the TV broadcast seemed to forget uh, what was going on. They kept saying how... Uh, like how rusty he is on pl on the field and like how much of a gamble this was. But they rarely talked about the, actually what was going on here. 23 accusers. Uh, the judge said that he was predatory and had egregious conduct and that she wanted to suspend them more, but past precedent didn't allow that to happen. So we have all this buildup and then the announcers really didn't say all that much about it. We had some weird uh, Browns insights from the sideline as well. Lots of covering up for what happened here. Anyways, he comes back on the field. And has his worst PFF grade since week nine of 20, or I think it was week four of 2019. Uh, did not look comfortable out there. He was missing some inaccurate throws underneath. He had an interception over the middle in the end zone. Didn't look very good. I thought that he was escaping the pot, uh, pocket a little prematurely at times. It just never looked 
all that great. What happened was, is the Texans offense is so horrendous. There was pick sixes. There was fumbles. There had a little bit of everything. Donovan Peoples Jones on special teams houses one. So we couldn't even get Nick Chubb to really go crazy here because the game was so over immediately just because how bad that the Texans were. So um, not surprising, but Deshaun did not look very good here. And this was not because of anything crazy that the Texans were doing defensively. Obviously he just didn't look right. right. Some of these throws were just put right into the dirt, but, but let's remember Deshaun Watson practiced with this team throughout the entire training camp and preseason. Deshaun Watson's been on the practice field for the last two weeks. So it's not like over 700 days, he just showed up today and plopped down for his first game. Like he's been a part of this system. And I understand the system can be difficult and Kevin Stefanski's thing can't just be grasped immediately. But with what we saw with Jacoby Brissett playing so well and so efficient this season, this was the easiest matchup on paper the Browns could have. And Deshaun Watson, I didn't watch it, but by all accounts, looked like garbage. Only three completions over 10 yards in this game. I watched it. I think you're being too kind, Hayden, honestly. Uh, 27 points and no offensive touchdowns contributed to that. And more important, like it legitimately looked like Deshaun Watson thought human beings had hands on their feet because like he was only throwing into the ground the entire day. It was miserable out there. Like you can say, yes, Amari Cooper, at least a 40.9% target share. That's great. And Watson's first game, but dude, Brock Purdy played better today. It's true. It, he just never looked comfortable out there as at all. And I mean, the, the commentary was pissing me off. Hey, can you understand that, that you tweeted out? Um, yeah, I mean, Aditi Akupawala came on and basically said that once the Browns learned that he was not going to be charged criminally, remind you, just because they're not pressing charges criminally does not mean that he's innocent, uh, that the Browns sent Kevin Stefanski over to uh, Deshaun's attorney's office to sit down and talk to Deshaun Watson, not about investigating what he did, not to get a, a feel for how Deshaun Watson is, but to show him for 30 minutes some play designs that fit to Deshaun Watson's skill set. And then after the game, this is what really tilts me is there's been plenty of times for him to show remorse, to take accountability, to sh indicate what he's been learning in these therapy sessions and has yet to admit anything. He keeps hiding behind uh, that the cases are still open, that he can't talk about any of the counseling. It's complete crap. Uh, and they asked him basically about uh, in, any of his off-field stuff. And he just said that he was excited to be back with his teammates. And it's so unfair because like all the teammates after the game, I saw a bunch of interviews talking about, oh, how was Deshaun Watson? They all have to just keep saying, Oh, he's our teammate. Uh, we're just out here trying to play football, and he's he's rusty right now. It's like it's just such a joke. You know, he had that one quote in one interview, and I think it actually was with Aditi, who maybe was the Browns TV reporter during the preseason, when he showed like a little bit of remorse and like took some ounce of accountability, and then the next day immediately walked that back, and ever since he hasn't shown any signs of it. Even, you know, this past week when he first did his media stuff and there's even since joining the Browns, there have been three more civil cases that have popped up, you know, and it's not events that have obviously happened here in the last, you know, few months. It was previous ones. So while the Browns might've said that they have done their own homework and were comfortable with all the cases that were being settled, there have been three more since then that they could have had no clue about, you know? So it's, 
it's weird. Like we talk about football here. We talk about players. We talk about performances and fantasy relevance and so on and so forth. But I, on one hand, like I want to bring this stuff up every single time we talk about the Browns for the rest of the season and moving forward for future seasons, but there's a span that's going to take, you know, and maybe we should, but 30, 45 seconds to put at the front of every single Browns conversation we have for the rest of time. They're just always going to hide by it. You know, like it's just always going to be like, just oh he he's trying to develop as a human like that's just what they're going to keep saying but it's never going to come out of his mouth so it's it is what it is it's it's the nfl like this is what we should expect but it is pretty disgusting uh meanwhile the browns defense and special teams your fantasy mvp in week 13 uh what a punt return touchdown a two return touchdowns as well on defense i mean 30 something kyle allen is your defensive mvp yes (laughs) He but was this was really kind bad. of expected. I mean, I did not understand. And look, it exactly went as we wanted it to. The people who bet on the Browns, uh, you know, giving seven points in this game. But Kyle Allen just can't play right now. I know I know it says 201 yards, but a lot of that felt like it was the final couple drives. And he's even worse, way worse than he was in Carolina in that stretch that he had. Uh, I will say um, this week, Damian Pierce looked good on film. It didn't really translate to all that much here, but he did look better. He had some, he at least had some rushing lanes. Obviously this was against the most cupcake matchup of just looking at like rushing EPA and any of those stats for the Browns Um, still can't score a touchdown. And man, this team, they need to start finding them some draft picks. This is insane to watch. No Rex Burkhead. So Damian Pierce, 21 of 25 backfield touches. And more importantly, last two games, I know no Brandon Cooks today against the Browns, but the last two games, Nico Collins has seen 24.5% of the team's targets from Kyle Allen. Yeah, I, I did want to mention Nico Collins. Deep target was too far. Um, he had a red zone incompletion. There was a screen pass they threw out to him with a massive truck stick. He flashes just enough, but he's probably not good enough to overcome this anemic offense outside of like really deep, deeply uh, flex territory. Again, they do have the Bengals next, then the Ravens after that. Uh, cross your fingers that they get smashed. All right, next up. Detroit stomps Bingo the Jacksonville smash. Jaguars. 40-14, to 14, John Daigle. Jared Goff, 31-41, two touchdowns. DeAndre Swift, 62 yards on the ground to score. Jamal Williams gets his first touchdown on basically the opening drive. And again, it's a route after what we thought of the Jaguars last week, flying high. You can't walk into Detroit and act all pretty because Dan Campbell's going to smash you. And the Lions average over five yards per play as they don't struggle whatsoever. Scored on their first five possessions of the game, actually. And the Jaguars continue to have zero answers on defense. But more importantly, just lots of boneheaded mistakes from the Jaguars on offense today Well, as well. Yes, Trevor Lawrence was under duress, but still, Zay Jones had three drops in the first half alone. Uh, and following one of his drops on one of their two opening drives, DJ, uh, we had another drop on third down then afterwards. I understand that uh, Jamison Williams was active today, but even then we knew he was going to be limited. Just eight snaps, two routes. His one target was meaningless because it was thrown way into the stands. Didn't even matter. He was never going to catch it. Uh, So yeah, it was really just a day where the Lions moved the ball with ease. Chark appeared quite often today, 41-yard catch. Amon Ross St. Brown had two touchdowns in the flats. And now we're seeing in the last five games without T.G. Hawkinson, Amon Ross St. Brown has averaged, not just total, averaged, 10 targets for 32.5% target share in that span. You know where they're going when they have the ball. Uh, Jamal Williams even 
obviously involved inside the five yard line because only gyrations occur inside the five yard line. But beyond that, even DeAndre Swift popping for 18 touches. DeAndre Swift also, who has seen a 21% target share in back-to-back games. So it's slowly coming to fruition here. Um, and just today, there was no challenge at all. That's yeah. the moral of the story. It, the Swift touchdown was funny because he had a great play to get them down to the one-yard line. It could have been an easy scenario where the Lions, once again, at that spot, go in and let Jamal Williams score. But instead... DeAndre Swift takes the next snap, has to make three defenders miss in the backfield and then barely get over for a touchdown. Good for him. You know, like Justin Jackson has been involved in this backfield, as you just said, Daigle, and just one carry here in comparison to 14. And hopefully that is something tangible that we can take moving forward. And Swift has a great finish to his season as well. And again, some of it was fourth quarter garbage time for Swift. Same thing we saw. Uh, the last game for the Lions as well, where they got him involved for like a touchdown inside the 10-yard line only because they were up by so much. But this is the second consecutive game now where he's looked good. Also, the first time he's had double-digit touches in his last five games. So at least we've ended that streak now. So hopefully this builds a little more confidence for Dan Campbell to play him much more often moving forward. I think at the very least, we got the receiving usage locked back in. And so that means at least Swift now can go back to being like an RB3 flex for half PPR. Pretty insane stat from Benjamin Solak from the Ringer. Uh, if you're only looking at the games with Amon Ross St. Brown playing healthy, Jared Goff is fourth in EPA, and that was coming into this game, and it absolutely shredded again. Amon Ross St. Brown, I don't think you can name five fantasy wide receivers that you would rather have for the rest of the season, I even mean, if Jameson Williams comes back in. And these are pretty crazy targets because a lot of them are quick outs to the left. It's nothing that we just saw from, you know, Garrett Wilson or Tyreek Hill or Jamar Chase that are these deep shots, you know? It's like the consistent monotone in some ways, like stuff that works well. And like, to me, that means it's sticky every single week. Like, that's important. He has at least one carry in four consecutive games. Like, they, this is why... And by the way, he returned from the injury, so it's not a big deal. But genuinely, he's been injured in three, four consecutive games now. We've all seen it because he's a small guy who is getting handed 10 to 15 touches per game. Like, he now is the focal point of that offense since they traded Hawkinson. Do we need to say anything about Jamison Williams? Uh, worked as a punt gunner, probably to get him to stretch his legs. He did that really well at Alabama, too. Um, it sounded like they were going to barely play him in this game, and that was the case. Eight snaps, two routes, meaningless target. That's it. Okay. Uh, was was never going to catch it. It was sailed out of bounds. All right. Let's talk about the Jaguars then. Uh, Trevor Lawrence, I think towards the end of the first half, if that's correct, got like his ankle fallen down on and sandwiched and looked really, really, really bad. Went into halftime, walking on it, exited, throwing on the field and went back into a game that they got blown out. Finished 17 to 31, 179 yards and a score. Christian Kirk, six receptions, 104. And uh, Zay Jones earned seven targets here, too. Trevor Lawrence, even in the second half, two carries of 10-plus yards, so nothing to see here. He's just fine. Uh, Christian Kirk was, I'm sure y'all discussed on your show, I'm I'm now guilty, I'm showing, of not listening to your uh, final tiers rankings of wide receivers. But we know the Lions have just been doused in flames by slot receivers the past few games. Christian Kirk continues the trend, two catches of 20 plus yards here. And as you mentioned, Zay Jones, don't worry about the yard. She had seven targets, yep. three drops earned. Well-earned. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, that's about it. I mean, Michael Hasty, just in case you were curious if he was going to earn a larger role after looking good last week and averaging 5.7 yards per touch, literally not a single touch in this game, all ETN. I did want to ask about ETN because, you know, last week he exited in that first series. They quote unquote could have brought him back in if they wanted to. He got basically a full workload, no? Like 16 touches for... Not basically. 16 of 17. All right. Um, Did he look fine? Because there's nothing really explosive in this. You know, a long catch of 13 yards, a long carry of 13 yards. And that that carry of 13 yards was the first play of the game, and he fumbled it uh, afterwards. But beyond that, yes, looked spry, clearly came back for an even larger helping of touches than he's ever received. So, yeah, he's he'll be just fine starting next week. Okay. Uh, one final note, 11 of Jamal Williams' last 17 touchdowns have been from the one-yard line. He, ha- he hasn't been targeted in five consecutive games, and no one even notices. They don't. No one cares because he just scores touchdowns. What a love to see it. What a monster. All right. Hayden hated draws in the World Cup. He got one here on NFL Sunday. The Washington Commanders, New York Giants, tie 20 to 20. This was such a, let's say, poetic game from Taylor Heineke. He opens with a touchdown pass to Terry McLaurin after he evades a nice pass rush, steps up, forces Terry McLaurin to do a 360 in the air, one-handed grab, and then walk-in score after evading the tackler. After that, Taylor Heineke goes two straight quarters of playing miserable football where either he was air-mailing receivers over the middle of the field 5, 10, 15 yards over their head in crucial situations. Or when he was getting pocket depth, he had no feel for any of the pass rush that was going around him, if it being Kayvon Thibodeau or Dexter Lawrence or whoever. So he had, you know, a crucial fumble or batted passes right when he got off his back foot. But then none of it matters because then he gets to the two-minute drill and starts hitting these perfect dimes. Like, again, there's pressure. It's like a fourth and ten. He avoids it all, hits Curtis Samuel, hits Terry McLaurin, hits Jahan Dotson for these big throws. So everyone forgets all the bad stuff in order to get there. And then in overtime, neither team scores. Um, For the Giants, I thought the easiest call of the day was Daniel Jones's higher for his rushing totals. He had 33, 35 in the first quarter, ended with 71. Uh, Saquon Barkley was able to find the end zone. 63 yards, a score on 18 carries. Darius Slayton had a great adjustment for a 55-yarder. I mean, look, Daniel Jones opened, I think, 17 of 18 in this game, so he was throwing the needles and stuff. But towards the end, they really couldn't get that final scoring drive in order to win this game. I'm not going to talk about this game. This is fitting that it's a tie, honestly. It's perfect. And it's more perfect that they go on by and then they return to play each other. Yeah, I mean... You guys have nothing to say. These are two teams with winning records. They're seven and five. (laughs) (laughs) They'll play each other in the postseason, the wild card round. No one's going to watch it. Yeah. What size hat was Brian Robinson wearing after this game? Medium size hat? I think as soon as you guys are so awful right now, (laughs) you're not helping (laughs) me at all with this game. Heading into this game, I think it was 50% that the commanders are going to make the playoffs and like 50% that the Giants were going to make the playoffs. And it stays the exact same thing after this. You did ask about Brian Robinson. He was head and shoulders above Antonio Gibson here. Um, Antonio Gibson also had an awful muffed um, kickoff return, 
But Brian Robinson, I was kind of shocked that they didn't stick with the run early on. I mean, they were averaging about four and a half, five yards of carry. And any time Taylor Heineke, again, other than that first Terry McLaurin touchdown, it was bad news. And B-Rob was, you know, on counters, on frontside runs and all that stuff was making really good things happen. And he looked, again, it's, it's pretty crazy. The story of getting shot, working back, everything. It wouldn't be surprising if like he's finally up to 100% now and wasn't the first game back. He probably looked as close to his Alabama days here when make you miss in the hole and try to create a quote unquote explosive gain, which for him is about 16 yards. Makes sense. Oh, uh, you guys are I, touched. I will, I, will, I, will, I will chip in one note and then we can move on from this terrible game that uh, Carson Wentz was averaging 38 past attempts per game. And then we saw with Taylor Heineke prior to this one, they were averaging 28 attempts per game. Hence why Terry McLaurin was struggling to pr produce despite leading the team in targets. But in this game, 41 attempts. It had to go into overtime for it to matter. But still, 29% target share. That's good. That's great. McLaurin went over 100 yards. I got a note for you, Josh. Uh, Saquon Barkley, we get Evan Neal back. He, what, catches five passes, scores a touchdown. As uh, total yards go slightly up. We're still waiting on Ben Bredesen to, to return, but Daniel Bellinger and Evan Neal coming back at least give, gives the Giants a fighting chance. And this is obviously a very tough matchup against Washington's front. So uh, good to see Saquon Barkley back into at least top five fringe potential. It was still 3.6 yards per touch, but he did have that 10-yard run that Josh is highlighting right now. Yeah. And look, it was the front side, you know, you get Evan Neal kicking out and it was one of those, you know, seams that he was able to put his foot in the dirt and, and cut up through. Look, the Giants just aren't hitting like they were earlier this year, but uh, this is the closest that we've seen early season. Daniel Jones, again, he started, I think, 17 of 18 and closed 25 for 31. Darius Slayton, we say it every week on the show now, though, like it's crazy that this coaching staff wanted to get rid of him. The previous one didn't love him either. And he's head and shoulders the best pass catcher other than Saquon Barkley on this team and feels like he makes plays every single week. You know, they should trade for Kadarius Tony. They need him underneath right now. Um, I think we have covered all the games that we watched. Is this correct? This is correct. Let's then rewind to Thursday if we have to and talk about the Bills crushing the Patriots 24 to 10. Josh Allen, 22-33, 2 two touchdowns. I guess what stood out to me was some of the running distribution. Dago, I don't know what you thought about this, but James Cook got 14 carries for 64. Devin Singletary got 13 carries for 51 and a touchdown. We've seen James Cook pop up for like 18 touches a couple weeks ago. You know, here he got 20 total touches. It's tough to know exactly what is what because they've relied so much on Devin Singletary this year in neutral and negative game scripts but it felt like obviously heading into the season that they really wanted a second back that's why they draft james cook that's why they went after jd mckissick that's why they traded for naeem hines maybe james cook has earned some trust and he's a part of this team like week in and week out for the next four or so weeks and more importantly just a couple weeks ago when you didn't have that season high share of backfield touches with 11 um the following week he only had four to Singletary's 15. So we've seen the rogue pulled out from under us one time already this year, let alone just last month. And so I do worry, but at the same time, a season high 20 touches is amazing. Also the fact that he ran more routes than Devin Singletary for the first time this season, I think is also very important. They basically split route participation down the middle. So yeah, maybe it is the fact that they are now cutting away from Singletary and trying to get James Cook, who is explosive, more involved. 
Yeah, it, it's very difficult though because Naeem Hines goes up, has 23 snaps himself. He was like at four or five snaps per game. So that was an increase. Obviously, game script was was trending towards James Cook. Um, did have over 15 expected half PPR points. So I'm more with Daigle here where you can get excited for James Cook. I think in, for best ball and stuff, you, you should be happy you have him at this point. But to like bank on him right now, I'm not sure if I'm totally there yet. We'll have to look at reports. Other note was Mac Jones on the sideline telling Matt Patricia or whoever else that, hey, the quick game sucks. Throw the damn ball, basically. It has felt like that this team off play action, wanting to test more down the field. But all this close to line of scrimmage stuff was not working. Obviously, the running game wasn't really working either. Look, we are 13 weeks into the season, and the Patriots still don't know what works offensively. That is an issue, and this is something that's going to carry on through the entire offseason, especially if they don't make a change. Maybe you don't hire a DC and a special teams coordinator as your offensive coordinator. Yeah. I mean, when you consider that of his 195 passing yards, 48 of that went to, is it Marcus Jones, the kick returner for a screen pass touchdown. And other than that, it was Tyquan Thornton with 31 yards. Like it's, it's abysmal stuff. And while it might pop up here or there, that it's a positive, like against the Ravens. And then a couple weeks ago too, there's nothing that sustains success for the Patriots offensively, unless it's Ramondre Stevenson being a bowling ball in tight spaces. But even that, it's not scary. Ramondre Stevenson lead this t- leads this team in targets in five of the last six games, and it doesn't matter. That just tells you all they do is check down. It's bad. I mean, at the, at the end of the day, their top pass catchers are Hunter Henry, Devontae Parker, Jacoby Myers, <sighs> Nelson Aguilar, Tyquan Thornton, Kendrick Bourne, Jonathan Smith. Like, that's just not good enough. Seattle Seahawks beat the LA Rams 27-23. to I actually didn't know that John Wolford was going to start this game. That's how little I cared about it heading into it. Um, he did get replaced for a little bit here, but what stood out to me, yeah, what stood out to me was Geno Smith, 367 passing yards, three scores and an interception, four sacks. There were moments where it was not going well here, but what we have seen from Geno is he responds by eviscerating you deep down the field. And DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett had gains of 36, of 40 yards, 12 targets to Lockett, eight to DK Metcalf. And I think this is what, four or five straight games where Geno Smith has multiple touchdown passes. Look, it's the Rams. They didn't have Aaron Donald. They were getting torched a lot this season, but I'm so glad that the Seahawks were able to rebound from some negative points being down at halftime and coming back on top. Coming into this game. Go ahead. I, I was going to say the most important takeaway, I think, is Ken Walker's injury and being on the lookout for that, especially since Travis Homer was out with an injury today. Uh, Ken Walker in the first quarter, there was no hard report. All that anyone saw was that he had to have his foot and ankle wrapped up, and then he was propping it up on the bench as teammates were coming to talk to him, and he didn't enter in the back of the game. So we'll have to wait and see what that injury is. It was weird because before he injured his ankle, he was kind of grabbing at his groin area, which is kind of scary. Talking about what happened uh, at the beginning of the season was playing through it, then kind of turned his ankle. Didn't look all that bad to me. So we'll see if they're just being uh, extra cautious. But obviously, that'd be a massive disaster. He was going to be a league winner for sure. Hurt feelings, too. He and Gino got into an argument on the sideline. Really? What's going on? Did you not see that? Mm-hmm. Not yet. It was it was like literally the play he got injured when they both returned to the sideline when they were taping him up. I don't know what happened though. Got a little heated. I think maybe 
Kenneth Walker, not to speculate, went to the iPad and was like, oh, man, I was going to open on that one. And Gino didn't like that comment. And Gino looks over. He's like, hey, man, don't say that. And they start pointing at each other, got separated a little bit. Don't not tell fun. Gino how to quarterback. Man is on fire. <laughs> what I was going to say is coming into this game, Tyler Lockett was one of the best performers in touchdowns over expected. DK Metcalf, one of the worst in touchdowns over expected. Both score touchdowns, so they're both good. And because Gino Smith is unquestionably top 10 quarterback this year. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. I actually wanted to pull up the uh, game-winning touchdown pass because it was only 41 seconds left in this game. Uh, first and goal at the eight-yard line. What you love about it, it's isolation. DK Metcalf, dog, against Jalen Ramsey. And as soon as DK, and you're not going to be able to see on these dots, as soon as DK gets his inside leverage and cuts inside, as JTL Sullivan says, he throws up the mailbox sign and says, Hey man, I'm open. I'm open. Just r is running like this. And obviously Gino threads the needle in between 33 and 53 and scores. It's great to see. It's a fun offense. I would love to see Kenneth Walker healthy though. For the Rams, uh, Cam Akers. Yes. 17 carries in a game that Kyron Williams was active for 60 yards, two touchdowns. The best part about all that usage is doesn't matter. We're still never going to play him. So it's okay. I don't even get it. <laughs> Well, yeah, I think I think it's easy. You don't have to. Easy. That's the best part. Well, What's I think it's matter? easy. The, the easiest answer is don't play either of them. But the actual answer answer is Cam Akers is their early down guy, and this game was pretty close for most of it. So he got a lot. They had a lead to the fourth quarter, yeah. right? And then Kyron Williams will play when they're most predictably going to be losing. It is official. Matthew Stafford is out for the season, as is obviously Cooper Cup. Yeah, and, and Sean I McVay. misspoke that the Seahawks are actually winning at halftime, fourteen to thirteen. They didn't have their first round pick, you know? And look, Seattle really needed this win, or I'll say again, would have been six and six. And now they play the Panthers and then the Jimmy Garoppolo less 49ers right after that on a short week. So look, it goes from potentially eight and six to now what nine and five. Big difference. We need them in the playoffs. They're an interesting team. They're they're a fun, fun offense to watch. Because again, once the negative plays hit, they just respond. And want to dice you up. And Gino just has a short memory. Which is the biggest cliche ever for a quarterback. But like he has learned to have a short memory here. So Lots of good throws yet again. We talk about it every week too. But the off script stuff you don't get to see in fantasy when you watch the film. Gino makes it happen every single week. Uh, okay. Are we going to go next to so, Broncos at Ravens or Steelers uh, at Falcons? So you said no one watched it. I thought I was supposed to watch Steelers Falcon. I also had Kenny Pickett and Battle Royals today, so I did watch a lot of the Steelers. Okay. Well, Give us we'll your go best there recap. next. <laughs> um, so this game happened. It was a game Pittsburgh that Steelers win 19 to 16. Najee Harris, 17 carries, 86 yards. Pat Fryermuth, three catches for 76 yards. Deontay Johnson, five receptions for 60 yards and 11 targets. And Zay Jones has more drops than George Pickens has yards today with two. And as we see every week in the second half, at some point, George Pickens starts yelling and uh, really hates playing with Kenny Pickett. And you see that again in this one at the half. He, he had one target, zero catches at the half. Uh, Deontay Johnson doing the same thing as well, leading the team in targets. If you need a, if you need 60 yards, Deontay Johnson's there yet again, five for 60. If you need a hundred, Deontay Johnson's there five for 60. And he does this again today because his expected fantasy points do not matter at all. But the Steelers actually were penetrating the red zone quite often. They didn't punt in the first half 
at all. We just had some, yet again, terrible toolsy misses from Kenny Pickett, who does it every single week. Missed a wide open Pat Fryermuth in the touchdown that would have made Fryermuth's day even better. On the next play, Deontay Johnson drops on third down, what would have been a first down. And so the Steelers, yet again, just continue to shoot themselves in the foot, despite moving the ball well. That's why I had Steelers stacks in Battle Royales, given their pass rate over expected, plus the fact the Falcons had played no actual NFL passing game in the last month of the season, thinking they were going to just fall over. Uh, but Penny Kenny Pickett didn't help. The thing is, every Falcons game is the same. Um, every Falcons game is they make plays for with no bodies. They, they are in a close game coming down to the very last drive, and then Marcus Mariota throws an interception every single game. And then that happened yet again. The Steelers hang on 1916 because Marcus Mariota throws a game-ending interception. And after the game, Arthur Smith is asked about a potential quarterback change because the Falcons have a bye next week. And he says, every job is open. We will evaluate everything. So I am pretty sure in two weeks, for better or worse, we are getting Desmond Ritter. Yeah, that's the closest he's come to opening the door, I think, because Arthur Smith is the most Scrooge-like coach out there when talking to the media. And every other time he's been asked, at least from what I've seen, he's like, absolutely not. What are you even asking this question for? So even leaving the door open for a little bit. Um, look, Drake London opened the season. Great. Daigle, here he goes for 12 targets, six receptions, 95 yards. Like, is there anything we can take from this? It, did the Falcons change their offense at all where it's 24 pass attempts in comparison to 28 runs? Or is this just a blip? on the radar that we can hopefully just cite when drafting optimistically Drake London next season in best ball. Look to next season. Uh, I don't think it really matters, especially because again, we're going to have a quarterback change in two weeks. So what does this even matter? Like we don't know. We have no idea. That quarterback change would be rough though. Going into new Orleans and then going into Baltimore for your first two starts as a rookie. We'll see. Um, and it is pretty amazing that no matter what, like, Cordero Patterson only gets half of the touches here. Like, no matter what. Uh, good for Najee, though. So an awesome stiff arm that he made. But still, just 17 for 86. And I actually want to watch Penny kick it instead of Kenny Pickett play football right now. That's that's where we're at. <laughs> you don't four actually want to watch either, honestly. Neither no are good. Zero All right, let's close with the uh, Broncos of the Ravens. We don't have news yet, but the biggest piece of news in this game was starting three of four Lamar Jackson did for 11 yards, took two sacks in that same span of time, left with a knee injury. Tyler Huntley comes in 27 to 32, 187, one interception, but also gets that game-winning touchdown run. Um, again, hopefully the Lamar news is not significant. They're still eight and four, despite playing some, I think, pretty pathetic football over these last couple of weeks offensively. But uh, we've seen Huntley in previous seasons. And last year, when Huntley was at quarterback, along with, I think it was Josh Johnson, uh, Mark Andrews went to the absolute moon in those game scripts. So maybe that happens here moving forward, too. After the game, uh, Harbaugh said it's days to weeks for Lamar Jackson. With It seems like a PCL injury. It's similar to kind of Zeke. Expect maybe two weeks benched and then comes back for, for the home stretch. We'll have to see what the matchups look like. But yeah, Mark Andrews, a bunch of targets here. And Tyler Huntley, I would say, is one of the best backup quarterbacks in the league. Um, can do a, an okay Lamar Jackson impression. Not nearly as explosive, but is willing to hit the check down. So maybe that's extra couple targets for Mark Andrews. Who knows? To add stats to that note, uh, it was a 28% target share and 22.8 fantasy points per game that Andrews averaged and Tyler Huntley starts last year. 
There you go. There you uh, go. Josh, unfortunately, I got rugged with Gus Edwards here. I'm not sure yeah. if it's because of game script or something like that, but Kenyon Drake gets in there and mixes in a whole lot more than Gus Edwards. Uh, and last week, it was the complete opposite. Yeah, we'll have to cover that in stats versus film because that's pretty shocking to see that Gus Edwards only gets six carries for 12 yards, Kenyon Drake seven carries for 29 yards. It doesn't matter at all, but just for the sickos out there, uh, Marlon Mack was used on the first possession, and what? then Mike Boone started the second half over Latavius Murray. So uh, for those of you in 28-person leagues that care about the Broncos' backfield, there you go. At the same time, despite what you just said about Marlon Mack getting touches or in there on the first series and then Mike Boone seeing in the second half the team was winning nine to nothing or nine to three through three quarters and I think Latavius Murray also had 10 carries in the first quarter too dude they're averaging less than 14 points per game in the 2022 NFL like they're not a professional football team Cortland Sutton did he leave injured in this game one target yeah. yes zero yeah, he left injured in the second half hamstring okay that's uh and yeah I guess the only because I mean I guess if you're really desperate Jerry Judy great Dolchich at least had eight targets here, but I mean, man, we're getting desperate. Do not watch this Broncos team. Well, we have to. All right. Uh, I think I picked up the flu during this game uh, in the show. <laughs> it lasted so long. Thank you all for tuning in. Go and check out Daigle's waiver stuff on 4 4 and Bettsburg. It is playoffs time, now, ladies and gentlemen. And six buys this week. So, like, playoffs, really? you're, you're, yeah, you're, you're, I think Hayden, right? I believe it's a 16 buy. Uh, look that up while I'm vamping. It's uh, at least four. So you're plugging in like for the playoffs for 16 buys because the NFL actually hates us. So, well, well I, think, I think some bye weeks or some playoffs, let's say, might start until after week 14. So we get week 15, week 16. Week 16. The only playoffs that damn matter, Mr. Daigle, is weeks 15 through 17 because we're only playing on underdog fantasy from the show. Uh, yeah. And week 14, the buys are the Falcons, the Bears, the Packers, the Colts, the Saints, and the Commanders. So that's like three starting fantasy players combined. <laughs> Christian Watson. Who's going to score touchdowns for us if it's not Christian Watson? That's true. Um, all right. We'll be back here tomorrow with Hayden and Sosa's waiver show. Also on Tuesday, the stats versus film. And we move on from there. All right, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. As always, share the show, share the channel with one of your friends. Do it. You've made the playoffs. Help them out. Leave a thumbs up. Leave a comment down below. Up the bill. We'll talk to you all soon.